When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. On today's show, singer-songwriter Vincent. A reality competition veteran as a finalist on the Fox series The Four, Vincent has subsequently broken through the music scene with a string of hits that culminated in his latest EP, The Feeling. Vincent talks about using his music to communicate his feelings. I want to be able to cry, but also dance at the same time. I'm sad, yes, but the sadness is in the past. The happiness is what's coming. His coming out. They just asked me one day, like, are you gay? And I was like, yeah, if you need to know, like, yes. If you need, like, that phrase, but I was like, you don't have to hear it to know that. Not wanting to be the butt of the joke on reality TV. Every time I saw someone who was queer, there was always rinky-dink music behind them because they were wearing an outfit that they loved, but in normal society would be made fun of. And being a Black gay man in the music industry. We're tired of having to explain who we are. I'm tired of my life being painted, like, as if it's roots every day. Shut up, Evan. Hey guys, what's up? It's Evan Ross Katz. We are back with episode four of Shut Up Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I am here with my producer, Alden Peters. Hey, Evan. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm excited for episode four. Yeah. So I know you've been eager to talk about something going on in the Real Housewives world, and I know nothing about Real Housewives. Uh, I know you're a fan. You take the lead on this one, and I will just listen along. Yeah. This is actually a pretty interesting story in that there are some times when a housewife will do something that I think is actually really meaningful outside of the show and actually like a really productive conversation to be having. So this story began with Bronwyn Wyndham Burke, who is the newest cast member on The Real Housewives of Orange County, which is the longest running Housewives franchise. Okay. So that's already like... Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm there. Let's go. So Bronwyn is the mother of seven kids. One of her sons just recently began experimenting with drag. So a few weeks ago, Bronwyn and her husband, Sean, and their son, Jacob, attended an event, a fundraiser at the LGBTQ Center in San Diego. To the event, Sean, her husband, wore these red high heels. The housewife's husband. Yes, Okay. Bronwyn posted a photo on her Instagram. You can go and look at it. It's still up there of her and her husband with her husband in these high heels. How tall were the heels? Uh, 
I'm going to give them like a four inch. Okay. And Vicky Gunvalson, who is one of the original cast members of the show, who was recently fired from the show, and who has a history of making problematic statements about LGBTQ plus people. You could characterize her as homophobic or transphobic, and you would have an argument there. I don't love assigning that label to someone that I think is just truly ignorant is the way I see Vicky. There's plenty of evidence to back up that claim though, is what you're saying. Yes, there's plenty of evidence to back up that claim. Yeah. So Vicky posted on her Instagram story, now deleted, but I got a screenshot, as I do, saying, does anyone else see what is on Sean's feet? The insinuation being, this is weird or strange. That's how many people read it. Sure. So the following morning, Bronwyn posts a four-part video on Instagram explaining why her husband was wearing these heels. Good morning. So I woke up to a lot of DMs, um, a lot of questions from a lot of you. And I just wanted to say, basically, why was my husband wearing heels? I mean, I think I put in my post, we were supporting our son, who's recently started showing an interest in drag. And we were on our way to a fundraiser for the LGBT youth center in San Diego. And it was Sean's way of supporting his son and all, all the other kids that the youth center helps. But more importantly, it was a way to take something that so many are uncomfortable of and try to normalize it. And waking up this morning and seeing all the hate that my husband's getting for a pair of shoes sort of goes to show why this is so important. Okay. She's totally right about the shoes being polarizing. When I was working at HuffPost, I worked on a show called Between the Lines, and we did an episode on heels. It's like part explainer, part like sociological study kind of thing, and it starts with the history of the heel. Obviously, they were originally for men in horseback riding, but then it went into queer men specifically wearing heels. It's one of those like gender norm things that as soon as somebody breaks tradition, it just upsets people like crazy. Yeah, I always find it interesting how much people are bothered by things that have nothing to do with them. And right. so in this instance, it very much felt like Vicky, who has a significantly larger following than Bronwyn because she's been on the show for I think 15 years at this point. It felt like a way of drawing attention to something in order to sort of alarm her fellow followers. So I DM'd Bronwyn on Instagram after I saw this because I was going to write a story for Oprah Magazine and I prefer to be in conversation with the person I'm talking about. She was extremely kind and she offered me this quote. She said, for us, we have always supported our kids and always supported the LGBTQ plus community. Even when the kids were little, we were in DC for the National Equality March all the way back in 2009. This is something our family has not only spoken out for, but actually shown up for. So for us, this is just a normal day. And I think when Sean wore the heels, it was his way of saying, not only do I support my son, But I'm going to say that this is okay. This is normal. There's nothing wrong with this. And the bigger picture was, if you're not our kid and you don't happen to come from a family that supports you like this, we are here for you. And I just want to say that, like, in terms of quality of allyship, this ranks very highly for me. So then she received, obviously, this pushback from Vicky, but then there were also people in the comment section of her posts saying that Sean's approach to showing his love for their child was, quote, extreme. And I love one of Bronwyn's clapbacks. I don't even know if she would characterize it as this, but it read as this. And she said, I guess I could use my platform to sell teeth whitening trays, but fundraising for the center in San Diego, an organization that gets only 84,000 site visits a year, is way more my thing. T. 
But also, I think it shows the ways in which this platform can actually be quite meaningful. And I think that The Real Housewives has a long, long history of homophobic and transphobic rhetoric in both subtle and overt ways, whether it be sort of like the caricature of the gay best friend trope that has been perpetuated on all of the franchises. And I also just think that many of the women, despite their efforts to be allies, fail in that effort quite often. I can think of an example of two of the New York women that were at a New York Fashion Week show a couple seasons ago, and there were trans women walking in the runway show, and they were caught on mic saying comments about, is that actually a woman? And so I love this idea of not only wanting to be proud of her son and his dabbling in drag, but also sort of like the grander effort, which is like to normalize the notion that if you have a family member that wants to do something outside of the quote unquote norm, you can embrace that. And not only can you accept it, it can be a good thing. Another example of this was when NBA star Dwayne Wade appeared on Ellen DeGeneres' show recently and revealed that his 12-year-old child, Zaya, had come out to their family as transgender. First of all, me and my wife, my wife Gabrielle Muyen, we are proud, when I say proud, we are proud parents of a child in the LGBTQ plus community. And we're proud allies as well. And we, we take our, our roles and our responsibility as parents very seriously. So when our, when our child comes home with a question, when our child comes home with an issue, when our child comes home with anything, it's our job as parents to listen to that, to give them the best information that we can, the best feedback that we can. And that doesn't change because sexuality is now involved in it. So once Zaya, our 12-year-old, came home, um, and first Zion, everybody, I don't know if everyone knows, originally named Zion, Zion born um, as a boy, came home and said, hey, so I want to talk to you guys. You know, I think going forward, I'm ready to live my truth. And I want to be uh, referenced as she and her. I would love for you guys to call me Zaya. And so internally, now is our job to, one, go out and get information, to reach out to every relationship that we have. My wife reached out to everybody on the, the uh, cast of Pose. We're just trying to figure out as much information we can to make sure that we give our child the best opportunity to be, you know, her best self. I think this was just an incredible moment because Dwayne's disposition throughout the interview was one of extreme comfort. And one thing that Dwayne made so clear was that he was learning from Zaya that he did not know much about the LGBTQ plus community, specifically the trans community, prior to having these conversations. But he recognized that his child knew who they were and that the best thing that he could do as a parent was to listen. To have that mentality is, is so heartening, but also to have this sports legend on a platform as big as Ellen's espousing this idea that it's not a grand gesture to accept your trans child. It's simply about love. It's simply about unconditional love. I thought that was so powerful. And just being a good parent. Yeah. And I think if the last couple of years has taught us anything, especially with the rise of figures like Malala and Greta Thunberg, it's like young people know a lot of shit and often they know more shit than their elders. And so I think this conversation happens, you know, recently on The View, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was on there, and one thing that will be said to her was, I was very happy when you were elected because I thought it was a great step in a, in a good direction, and then you lost me mm. because it 
felt like you were saying to people like me mm. that I was too old and didn't do enough oh, no. to make. Well, that's what it sounded like. Mm. And I bring that up only because I think this is such a uh, m- such an example of Whoopi misunderstanding AOC's original point, which is it's okay to question the establishment. And just because you're questioning the establishment or how things are does not mean you are disrespecting that or saying this is wrong. It can be as simple as saying this is how things are. And what if they were also this way? And I'm so proud of these figures like Zaya, like Malala, like Greta Thunberg, any of these young people who are questioning the system and saying no, this is who I am. This is the way the world is and get used to it. But I think the through line to all of these stories and to your point about young people being unapologetic with their opinions and how they see the world, I think that's a perfect segue into our guest today, Vincent, who is extremely talented and similarly unapologetic. Absolutely. In November 2018, Paper Magazine wrote, Vincent just might be our generation's greatest vocalist. In December 2019, Billboard wrote, No longer a star is born, Vincent is a legend in the making. Born and raised in Philadelphia, Vincent began singing at five years old. His big break came in 2018 when he appeared on the Fox reality competition series The Four. His performance of Radiohead's Creep has earned over 12 million views on YouTube. By the start of verse two, Diddy, one of the judges on the show, was already on his feet. Watch it and you'll know why. Vincent released three singles in 2018, Remember Me, Marrow, and Mine. His new EP was released on February 14th. I know you moved on, made it look easy. You said you needed space. You didn't need me. You know I'm fine, fine being alone. But it's a feeling, a feeling, a feeling, a feeling I can't let go when I hear your name. The feeling is my take on love, says Vincent. The joy, pain, happiness, and disappointments. The incredible highs and unforeseeable lows and the self-discovery. These emotions threaded together sum up the way I describe it all. For me, it's just the feeling. He is a force. He is major. He is Vincent. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. Let's start with your preferred pronouns. He, him. And I've seen you identified as queer and gay, and I want to use your preferred language. So what are you the most comfortable with using for this interview? Either or. It doesn't matter. Either or? Yeah. So there's not a lot out there about your childhood. I know that you grew up in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I know that you began singing at five years old. Yeah. And your father was in the choir, church choir. No, he was in a gospel group. Mm. So my dad was a singer in this gospel group that he uh, put together called the Christ United Gospel Singers. And they were the first people I ever heard sing. So there were five guys and they were always in my house harmonizing, singing around my house. They were like my uncles. And that's where I learned music. That's where I, I, my joy for it came from. And like, that was my first introduction into sound. But I was really shy, so I never sang in front of them or anyone else. I joined a choir because my mother and my father forced me to. And I sang a solo and then the room got quiet and I was like, oh, if I can do that, then maybe this is what I should be doing. And then the love for it kind of grew. Started songwriting at 12, not great songs, but songs. And it was a start and started playing shows around Philadelphia. Started doing things with my dad, started doing things with my brothers and sisters and just kind of making a name for myself back at home. And then we would spread out, we would come to New York and play little shows, like a little traveling family band, but it was just my dad putting me on stage and being like, sing these songs for these people and see if they like it. And they did. Like me, you grew up in the 90s and really came of age in the early aughts. Yeah. I know Whitney Houston is a huge musical influence of yours. Who were you listening to growing up? It varies because um, the first 
person I ever listened to was my dad. And then it was Celine Dion because my mother had Celine Dion, a decade of song. Like listened to the album every day, knew all the melismas, knew everything about it. And then it kind of breached out from there to Mariah Carey and Aretha Franklin. And I really love women singer-songwriters. So then it grew to Regina Spector and Ingrid Michaelson and Sarah Bareilles and these women that I had just admired so much for their writing and the way that they... Their, their perspective on life and love and sadness really like captivated me. So I wanted to really delve into that and it influenced me a lot. Not a lot of men, which yeah. is strange. Uh, Who has time for them? It's not a loss. I'm interested in your references, though, and this idea of sadness. I remember first hearing Alanis Morissette as a kid. Yeah. And in her case, it was anger, you know? And I remember that really validating my emotions for the first time, like Mm -hmm. saying like, oh, anger's okay. And I'm wondering if you had something similar with sadness, with hearing them singing about sadness. When I heard them sing about sadness, there was a joy in it, you know, because I think people think of sadness as being this one plain emotion where it's this plateau emotion where it's like you're sad all the time and you cry and that's it. And it's like, no, you can be sad and be really happy because you could lose someone and think of them in the memory and be sad about that, but still be very, very joyful in it. A relationship can end and you could be sad about it, but there is also the good stuff that happened in between it. So it's a multitude of things happening in sadness. It's a multitude of things happening in anger as well. You can be happy with anger as well. Yeah. Like destroying something makes you happy. You could do it in anger, but it makes you happy. Yeah. And that's kind of how I look at it when I songwrite. Because I want to feel both emotions. I want to be sad, but I also want to be happy. I don't want to be sad the entire time. I want to be able to cry, but also dance at the same time. Because I think it's this euphoric moment where I can release everything that I've been going through. I'm sad, yes, but the sadness is in the past. The happiness is what's coming. And I can kind of, it's like a little train that goes through both emotions, you know? You know what this makes me think of? It's like why I think people connect with Robin's Dancing on My Own Ugh. so much. Ugh. Is that very idea, which is like, it's this tremendously sad song. Yeah. And yet... The feeling it like evokes in you is one of, as you just pointed out, I just want to dance. Exactly. It's the feeling. It's literally just that. That's why Robin is a huge inspiration for me because she's that quintessential artist who can make the saddest songs. If you listen to all those words, it's terribly sad. And you're just like, are you okay? But also like, I can't stop moving. It's the same way with Cher's Believe. It is a gut-wrenching song. But you can't stop moving because they skillfully mastered the art of making sadness a happy emotion. Who were the gay or queer or LGBTQ individuals that you were seeing in the media that really captured you? I guess queer for me was Bjork. She just stood out for me because she was an artist. And she was like, this is who I am. I didn't have many queer people that I could see on TV. It wasn't in my family where it was like, these are the people that you can look up to. I was very fortunate in having a really, really open and loving family and understanding family where they knew who I was and never tried to change me. There was never a conversation of who you are should be different. And if you want to do this, this might be dangerous. It was like, we love you. And if you want to go for this, go for it. We got your back. Yeah. And so I am fortunate in that because not many Black kids have that. I was going to ask about that because so many of the media images that come to mind for me when I think about like those big coming out moments, like Ellen or even like Will and Grace, it was always centering white individuals. The exception I can think of is my so-called life with Ricky's character um, being a non-white queer character on television. But the majority of these moments, especially culturally centering white individuals, was there any black LGBTQ celebrity for you growing up that you were really had your eye on? I know that she's not gay. Well, I actually don't know, but Whoopi Goldberg was one for me. Mainly because she didn't fit into the mold of what a woman should look like. Yeah. She was. She wore pantsuits. She hosted the Oscars at one point in a pantsuit. For me, I was like, this is what I want. That's, that's cool to me. She was also an African-American woman who spoke her mind. She was funny. She wasn't always sad. The narrative wasn't always, oh, poor me. Because that's not our narrative. 
You know, it's not the entire story. It's not who we are. It's a part of the past and we learn from it and we remember it and we try to move forward from it. But it's not, I don't want that to be my narrative. I'm not sad all the time about what happened to our people. Do I think about it and do I want progress because of it? Yes. But I don't want that to be my narrative for my entire life. And so she really had that for me. She was doing her art. She was funny. She was living her life and she wasn't afraid to say what she wanted to say. I love Whoopi Goldberg. And I'm curious what you think about the Whoopi of today, because I sort of love the breadth of Whoopi's career. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that she is this badass moderator on the most important show on television today, (laughs) if I may declare. Uh, I'm just curious what it's like been for you watching this woman who you revered so much growing up and watching her grow into this like fabulous EGOT. She's just, for me, watching her career, because I love all of her movies, she's just phenomenal. And the Whoopi now, I love even more because she truly does not give a damn. And that for me is, ugh. You know, it's like, it's, I think, because we live in a society and a culture right now where if you say something that doesn't fit everyone's point of view or it seems a little bit off, then you should immediately apologize and you should be sorry because you hurt someone's feelings. And it's like, I'm sorry, your feelings are going to get hurt. There's no way around that. And she is very much like, no, I meant it. And I'll come on tomorrow morning and I'll tell you that I meant it and not take the apology back because... I'm not sorry about it. That's how I feel. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? And I think people nowadays get, especially on The View, people don't know how to argue with the discussion and not the person. Uh-huh. It gets so confused. It's like, I hate this person. And it's like, no, you hate what they believe. There's a big difference. There's a huge, vast difference between what people believe and who they are. <laughs> I love that moment. I think it was like in December when Whoopi told Megan to be quiet and it became like this big news story because yeah. it was like, you know, Whoopi finally snaps. And I liked that when she came back, she didn't apologize for what she did, no. but she was like, let me remind all of you that we all get along up here yeah. and we we are a family. She's like, no, I know, I've known this woman for years. She was getting on my nerves, so I told her to be quiet. I love her. I do that with my friends all the time. You get on my nerves, shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's fine. I'm telling you to shut the fuck up because I love you. Because I love you. Because you're saying something stupid. Yeah. And you know it's stupid. And when I told you to be quiet, you got upset. You know? Yeah. So you talked about your accepting family growing up. I'm curious, when did you first realize that you were gay? And when did you come out to your family? Uh, I think I realized at a very young age. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten until 12th grade. That was a real fun experience for me. Um, uh, it was probably in third or fourth grade where I liked a boy and I told my mom, I was like, I think this boy's cute. I want him to come over and we can hang out. And she was like, okay, we can try that if you want. And I was like, yeah, I think he's cute and we should like have a little party. We can like have snack and we can watch TV. And I think she picked up on it then. And I'm so grateful for the mother that I have because instead of sitting me down to have a conversation, she just said, Great, invite him over. I'm sure she talked to his parents and was like, my son wants to hang out with your son and I think he has a little crush on him. And the parents were fine. There was nothing sexual about it. It was just me knowing that I liked boys and wanted to hang out with a boy. And so I was very fortunate to have her and my dad was clueless, but also knew who I was. You know what I mean? Like when parents say they did, they don't know, you gotta not be around that kid to not know. And so uh, I formally came out in high school. They just asked me one day, like, are you gay? And I was like, yeah, if you need to know, like, yes. If you need, like, that phrase. But I was like, you don't have to hear it to know that. I've been living my life this entire time. I've never been ashamed or hiding it. And so it's never been this moment of, this is me and you, this is who I am now. It's like, I've always been this way. And though I was quiet, I was very, very sure of myself. And so I never took any crap about who I was from classmates or my siblings. It kind of made a staple in my life where I was, this is me. This is who I am. If you don't like it, you can fuck off. And my brothers and sister got it, like, quick. 
And I kind of stuck with that for the rest of my life. I know for me, one of the earliest indicators for others that I was gay was my speaking voice. Hmm. I remember, like, it's, it's, it's like vaguely triggering, but like whenever people would call my house mm-hmm. and they would pick up and they would Think say, your Amy. Mother? Yeah. And then I would have to deliver the line of like, I'll go get her for you. Um, <laughs> and which I heard them feel this great amount of shame on the other end of the line. Shame that I didn't want them to take on, yeah. but like it, you know, it was just I'll so see awkward. We're different. Yeah, and so I'm curious, what was your experience like with your voice? I always had a, I, I have a pretty high voice. It's not as high as it used to be, but in middle school and high school, I had a pretty high voice. But the thing about it is, I could sing, so that was like my superpower. Mm. So people are like your voice is so high to go, it's because I can fucking sing. That's why. And I also I love my voice. So when people call my house and they're like Valerie, and I'd be like, yes, how can I help you? And answer the phone call. My mom would be sitting there like, you crazy mother. Just give me the phone. But I like I enjoyed that because I thought it was funny. Did performing always seem like a viable path for you? I mean, I know you had your dad sort of as a blueprint, but a lot of people deal with parents that are not as supportive of their children wanting to go into artistic pursuits when they could be a doctor or a lawyer or what have you. Did you always feel like this could be a viable career? For sure. I loved doing other things too because my mom is an EFTA. She's a dental assistant. And my dad was also thinking about his day job was working in the prison system. And so they both had plan B jobs, or my dad at least did. And so for me, I was like, I, I want to be a singer, but I also had, I built, I built computers in high school just because I thought it was fun. I love working. I have always, I come from a working family and I loved just doing random jobs because I found it to be fun and it was fulfilling for me. Was singing the goal? Yes. Was it the first thing I did? No. It was in a part of everything that I did, but I had to really take a moment before going into college where I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because being an independent singer-songwriter is hard. Being an artist or a pop star or anything, that, it's, it's hard without money behind you. Right. It's a, it's a long road. And then I made a decision a couple of years ago. I said, this is what I want to do. And no matter how hard it is, no matter how hard it may get, I'm going to see it through. And with that, let's take a quick break. And we're back with Vincent. What were you up to in the period between college and the four? And I asked that because I was stalking your social media. And though you joined Instagram in 2012, you didn't really become active on Instagram until 2017, 2018. Or perhaps you deleted posts from the past. But <laughs> There she is. There she is. There you go. What were you up to in the in-between? I was working. I left college and I... Moved to New York for a year, and then it was cold, and I said, I don't want this anymore because I went to school in Boston, I grew up in Philadelphia, and I'm tired of snow. I moved home for maybe two months, and then I was sitting in a movie theater with my best friend and found a ticket to LA for 175 bucks straight from Newark to LAX. Bought it, left two days before Christmas, moved there. Terrified. Had no connections. Had no <laughs> money saved up. Just my guitar and my, back- and my suitcase in my backpack, and... I started working. I started becoming a temp. I had the strangest jobs you will ever think of. I babysat a seal for this woman in her home. She had a seal in her backyard named Frank. And it was the weirdest job of my entire life. But I love Frank. And it was a really defining moment in my life. Because I needed to find a way to survive there and also to play shows. So when I was there, I would go to venues. And I would talk to bookers. And I'd say, hey, if you let me play for free, I'll like busk tables. Or I'll figure out a way to make up for the wasted time. Or if a slot is empty, please let me fill it. And they'd be like, send me a demo. And I'm like, I don't have money to record a demo, but I can sing for you right now. And I'd have my guitar and I'd play for them in the middle of like the room. And it would be usually, please leave. Or please don't do this in the middle of my like work environment. And then someone would be like, great, come in tonight. And I started building up a rapport with different venues in LA and like Hotel Cafe. And there was a room called Room 5, which was one of the first places to give me a gig. 
and I played for two people and both of them left and I played for an empty room. But it was for me, I was like, okay, great. I made it to LA. I'm on a stage. I'm singing. Goal number one down for the year. And I kind of moved through like that and just made friends with people from college again. And I made friends with people who book singers for sessions, like TV stuff, just the backgrounds, like the the Glee stuff, like the Ooze and Oz here in the background. I'm on some of them because I needed to get money, but I wasn't sad, so I was not paying that low rate. Um, it's 2000 a year. It's, it's laughable, um, especially when you're poor. And then I started selling out shows. Like people would come, they would find out about me. I would put little things on Instagram or Facebook. Hey, I'm playing a show here. If you come, I'll give you something for free. Like I have a single out or I have a song, like a little demo on my phone. And I can I can airdrop it to you. And people would come out and then more people started coming and more people started coming. And finally I started playing, I did a residency at the Hotel Cafe about three or four years ago. And it was every Friday for a month. And each Friday sold out and it was 250 people each Friday. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And it was because of the consistency of work and people like just word of mouth, you know? Uh, and then I started playing bigger venues like the Peppermint Club and I sold that out twice. Then I moved up and I started playing venues like the Troubadour and I sold that out twice. And I was like, okay, great. We're on to something. So I had been working for a very long time. You hear about it in classes in school and you're like, your teacher's like, it's going to take a very long time to get there and you're going to work for a long time. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be famous next year. That's not realistic. And I don't think I would want it that way. No. I don't think I would want to be sitting here with you or doing the things that I'm doing now. Had I started yesterday, then it kind of just, it would just feel undeserved, you know? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I think I worked, and I'm working now for what I want. Yeah. So... This show comes along in 2018. It's a new show on Fox at the time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're accustomed at this point to like American Idol and The Voice. What was your expectation about what this opportunity could hold for you? I hate singing TV shows. I think they are just the devil. Competing in singing against someone is just so unfair because no one, it's not the, you know what I mean? It's not like tennis where you, it's the same thing, you know? And so I said no twice. And then they came back a third time. They were like, you, you could for sure be on this episode if you come and audition for us. And I said, I'll come in if you change the contract. I don't want to be, I don't want to have to go on stage and say your name for anything. If you just let me go on and sing, I don't want to be the butt of the joke. I, because every time I saw someone who was queer, there was always rinky dink music behind them because they were wearing an outfit that they loved, but in normal society would be made fun of. And there was like the doty music behind them and they're made fun of by the judges and they're laughed at and then they're kind of booed off. And I was like, that's not going to happen to me. You're going to let me come on here and I just want to sing. Let me show you that people who look like me and who are from my community can do this and do it really well. And that we're not a joke so that people, when they see it, know that they can do it. You know, maybe offer more than just what you want for ratings. Because then you may have a good show and it may last. 
And so they let me do that. And my expectation when I got on it was not to make a fool of myself. That was my hope. Cameras catch everything. And even on the show, they got a couple faces from me that they like cut up and it's just, they got a good amount of stuff. But my mother called me before I got on this show. She said, if you get on national television and act a fool, I'm going to kick your ass. And that was my warning before I did all of it. So you go on the show and you have this performance of Creep. I listen to it probably daily. I... (laughs) love that performance. Thanks. I want to talk about it because it's magical. It's not just the vocal. It's there's something inside of you and you feel it coming up and coming out of you. You also see the reaction of the people in the room, which also illustrates just how powerful. It's not just the vocal. It's the performance. It's the full package. I don't care if it hurts. I think it's just a moment where you're like, this guy is not just good. This is not just good. There's something else here. What were you feeling in that moment? So the thing was, they wanted me to sing Human Nature by Michael Jackson. And I was like, it's a finale. And I don't think Human Nature is really going to like, I'm up against three girls who are all singing for their lives. And like, I mean, one of them is singing a Whitney Houston song. One of them sang Tina Turner. I was like, Michael Jackson, Human Nature is not going to cut it. I had also been feeling, because I had been there for maybe three weeks in a hotel room without contact to anyone. I was losing my mind. And I had been singing this song because I really resonated with it. Especially in that environment, I felt that way. I was like, I don't, I feel like I really don't belong here because it just doesn't make any sense. I don't like this process. Those shooting days are long. We get up at six, you go to bed at 11, you wake up at six the next day just to shoot promo. Just a bunch of stuff that is crazy. The people were great. The producers were great people and the contestants were also great. But I was just like, this seems very strange to me. It doesn't seem natural. And so I suggested, I was like, hey, take a listen to this. I have this arrangement. I would love for you to like, just give it a shot. And so I gave it to uh, one of the producers to play and I sang it for them on the stage. Like, And they all go, great, that's the one. And I closed my eyes and I was just like, just sing it. Don't think about it being a competition. Just do what you came in to do and just sing the song. It's not going to be honest if you try to show off. And so I was like, I'm not going to do any big runs or anything. I'm just going to sing the song and let it out because I was tired. I was so like tired of feeling weird that I felt out of place because I was, I would get on the screen. They'd be like, say this, like, do you want to, how does Javiah feel? And are you want, do you want to take her out? And I was like, she's a 17 year old girl. No, I don't want to take her out. I want to go home. But it was that moment of just sing and just do what you, just do what you do. And for me, it just felt, it was euphoric for me because I literally got done and I got backstage and I was like, I don't know what just happened because I don't remember it. Yeah. And I left and I was like, that was strange. But I think that was a moment of like spirit or whatever it is, just taking over and being like, this is what you're born to do. Just do this mm-hmm. and just feel, just let us have control for this moment. And so that's what happened. I'm fascinated by that song just because 
it feels like an anthem for any person who's ever felt other. And yet the writer of that song is a straight white man. Yeah. And I find it fascinating how popular it's become for queer people. Yeah. Because it's such a relatable sentiment. And yet it, it came from someone on the other side. Yeah. But don't get, don't get that wrong, though, because those straight white men are troublesome and worrisome and bad and a problem in my life and everyone else's lives. They still feel the same thing. I named this EP The Feeling for a reason. Everyone feels all of these things. No matter how problematic you may be, no matter how shitty you may be, you all feel the same thing. So when he wrote it, I'm sure he was at the end of his rope and it was like, I'm, I am tired of feeling like this. And I feel like I don't belong in this world and I feel like no one wants me. Yeah. Like I don't fit in here. And that's a, that's a real thing. And I think it's because we are such a marginalized group being gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, gender nonconforming. We are all constantly made to feel that way. And so it's, it would be inevitable for us to love that song the way as much as we do. Like even my fans afterwards were like, we're going to call ourselves the creeps. And I was like, I don't know if that's like the best thing, but I feel you. Like I get what you're trying to do, but it's, it's a universal feeling. Yeah. For, everyone's going to feel that way at some point. Yeah. Even it's the interesting though, people. like the idea that to feel like an outsider is so universal. And I totally agree yeah. with you, but it's like a beautiful and kind of haunting reality yeah. that I love the the openness with which the, the song really captures that. Um, at the Grammy Museum in February 2019, you said that, yes, you were lucky to have been on TV, but because of the color of your skin, the show's producers were eager for you to put on a suit and, quote, sing gospel songs. You said, I wanted to sing Bjork. How did these conversations go down, and, and what were you thinking? <laughs> um, they weren't easy for them. You can tell from my tone, I'm pretty outspoken and forward. And so I told them, I don't like wearing suits. It's because when I was little, my parents would dress me up in suits for church. They were always oversized and baggy. And I just have a, a disdain for them now. And so they brought me this like suit and I was like, I don't want to wear this. I also don't want to sing these like songs that you, they wanted me to sing uh, See lately. And I was like, yeah, that's a great song, but it's nothing new. You know, people have seen a black guy in a suit sing Jodeci on a TV show. It's the let's do the black moment for this kid. Whereas Javiah, who was a white girl with dreads, is singing Cardi B. You know what I mean? And it's like, you give her the option to be unique because that's what you think is popular and that's what should be seen. And it's like, no, 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 no. And so the producers at Fox came down and we had a huge meeting. And they were like, if we don't do this, we won't be able to put the finale. I was like, well, don't put me in it. It's going to be stressful for you because if you air this next episode where I'm not there and I'm supposed to be, you're probably going to have an issue. Because what I wasn't, I wasn't going to be pigeonholed or steamrolled into doing something I did not want to do. I am all for solutions. I don't like hearing no. No is my least favorite word. There is always something else that can happen. No is just not an option. And we worked it out. So I went to the stylist and I was like, hi, if I wear this suit, I get to make alterations to it. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, well, there's this leather Balmain choker because what you see is not a shirt. It's literally just a neck piece that comes here and the suit closes over it. And they're like, I don't think the budget can handle this. I said, I think it can. It's Fox. I think we'll be all right. And that's literally what happened. It's just, I had to stand my ground. Yeah. And I, I find when you do that, it turns out the way you want it to, most of the time. I feel like it's interesting, you know, you're talking about the years that you had of experience of sort of having to hustle. And I feel like that seems to have given you the ability to know that you can fight for oh, what yeah. you want. Had you just come in at some 19, 20 years old and been on the show, well, no. I think it might've been harder to stand your ground on that. I saw it with other contestants who were, younger than me and would come in and be like, oh, okay, yes to everything. And there are some things I don't want to do and some things I don't want to say. 
you got to trust your gut on some things. You got to, yeah. I mean, like if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong, but I'd rather be wrong because I made the decision as opposed to me making, giving someone else control of something that I should be doing of my life and it turning out shit because I didn't stand my ground. Yeah. Because then I'm going to be livid because then I knew I was right. I'd rather just fail on my own and it be my fault and then I can learn from it. In that same interview, you said that some male producers would walk out of your studio sessions or refuse to work with you altogether. Yeah. Which is just, to read that is so disheartening. I imagine it felt that way for you, but what is it like in these moments having people know how talented you are, have have heard your voice and reject wanting to work with you because of who you are? Honestly, the first time it happened, I was in Burbank and I started laughing because that had never happened to me before. Where a producer got up and was like, oh, we're not making anything today. Like I can't, there's nothing I can do for this. Like this isn't marketable. And in my mind, I'm like, you don't have to sell this. You just have to help me make it. You know what I mean? Like it's gonna be profitable because I'm on it and I think it'll be great if we can make something together, but because of what they saw, like I may have had my nails painted at some point. You know what I mean? But it's like they prejudge the situation. And for me, that's, it is disheartening because it happens to a lot of other people as well, where queer artists will go into a space like that and will go to the bottom of the totem pole because we don't have anything to offer in people's minds other than our queer experience. And it's like, sis, most of the songs you listen to, most of the rap songs you hear are written by queer men. But people don't know that because they don't do the research and they don't want to know that. But it's most of the bops you hear from the, pro- the pop girls out today, queer men. You know what I mean? And queer women and women of color. But you don't know that because you don't see that. And for me now, if that, that doesn't happen now in my sessions because I work with respectable people who respect music and the art and also have kind hearts and good souls. When you hear these terms like you're not marketable, yeah. what do you think that they're speaking to? In that moment, do you receive that as your, your queerness? Mm, queerness and my skin. Okay. Name to me one pop girl that is African-American other than Beyonce who is in the forefront. I don't think you can. Who is as successful and promoted and pushed as much as Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, the pop girls. You know what I mean? Like, we're fighting and pushing for Normani to be in the front. Has all the moves, has the voice, has the talent. It's never spoken about. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's often this reticence to call black girls in pop, pop girls. Oh, yeah. You know, they often get labeled with like, seen as they're making urban contemporary. And it's like, no, they're making pop. Pop music. Yeah. Tyler, the creator, just talked about this at the Grammys. On one side, I'm very grateful that uh, what I made could just be, you know, uh, acknowledged in a world like this. But also, it sucks that whenever we, and I mean guys that look like me, do anything that's genre bending or that's anything, they always put it in a rap or urban category, which is, and I don't like that urban word. It's just a politically correct way to say the N-word to me. So when I hear that, I'm just like, why can't we just be in pop? Why can't it just, you know what I mean? So I, I felt like half of me feels like the, the rap nomination was a backhanded compliment. Like, oh, uh, my little cousin wants to play the game. Let's give him the unplugged controller so he could shut up and feel good about it. He's like, it's just another word for the <clears throat> N-word, which is true. Just like, and we were talking about this in the car the other night. If I were to ever win a Grammy or be nominated, I'd be nominated as urban pop. What the hell is urban pop? Right. Popular music is popular music. There's no brand to that. It's what is what is popular. And so when I hear it, I'm just like, this is 
wild when I go into meetings and I've been into plenty of meetings where it's just like, that may not be marketable. We had to find a way to like make that marketable. And it's like, sis, just put it out. Come to a show. I promise it's marketable. It's because you don't see it or you haven't seen it before. You're scared of it. Be an innovator. Yeah. Let me ask you about LGBTQ media. One thing that I've heard from a lot of LGBTQ celebrities that I've interviewed is a feeling of there being a lack of support from LGBTQ media. What's been your experience on that side in terms of how much you felt that they've given you uh, a platform? For me personally, I've been lucky to have queer media behind me. Not all of them. Most queer media you see is white gay men with abs or just white men, if we're being honest. Most promos you see for everything are white men. Black men are talked about it if it's Karamo or if it's me or if it's Todrick Call, but it's always like so-and-so is also there. And if there is a cover shoot, we're in the corner somewhere. We're never in the forefront. It's unfortunate because for us to be as marginalized as we already are, people have no idea how marginalized the queer community in and of itself is. Just with body images, race, gender, it is, it's wild. It takes people who are in these positions on these platforms to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of trying to teach people that black people are as important as everyone else. It's not my job anymore. I'm so tired of taking up the banner of being like, oh, see me. I'm not, it's not my job. I'm so past it. And I think it's just, it's like, if you want to see me, you'll see me. I'm going to keep doing what I do and it'll pop off eventually because I have the confidence in the work ethic and I have the belief that it will. But it takes those white men who are in those rooms who are, make up most of the boards for GLAAD and OUT and all those major publications to see us. Now, they may be on Twitter and they may be editors at some things, but they're not up where the money is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's just tea. Gays are a really loud presence on social media, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, what's been your experience like of cultivating the same energy that gays put forth for a Dua Lipa or a Kim Petras as a Black gay man? Girl, that's tough. If you are not a, a pop girl, the gays, it takes, it look how long it took them to get behind Lizzo. Lizzo has been out forever. A black woman, a full-figured woman who literally has been out forever. But because she wasn't a blonde pop girl, it didn't matter. I love the gays. We all love the gays. If you are not a pop girl, it is hard to get on board. I am grateful now that just now there are like gay men hopping on board because if we're being honest, the gays drive the culture. They get you seen. And it is, that's just tea. They're gay men everywhere. At every publication you ever thought of who put the, the bug in the ear of the people that need to hear it. It's tough. I mean, look, there's me. There's Tadra Call. There's Bronze Avery. There are so many, Amini K. There are so many African-American pop boys and UK African pop boys who don't get played. And we make great music. Oh my God. You know what I mean? But it's like, we'll stand the girls. We'll stand the white girls because we, they look like us. Yeah. It's funny you bring up MNEK because I listen to his music and I'm just like, how is this not on the radio? It's wild, right? It's wild. Yeah. And it makes me think, you know, on the way over here, I was listening to Deserve, which is a Christina Aguilera track that MNEK wrote and does background vocals on. Mm -hmm. And you can like softly hear his background vocal throughout. And I'm just like, turn it up. Like, yeah. I want to hear. And it's like, there's almost a metaphor there. Um, and yeah. just this feeling of like, that song to me, I want that to be a duet. And yet here he is like laying down the background vocals and it's like, I want him right there with her on the mic. Welcome to the African-American and UK experience of literally building the foundation and never being put on the forefront, never being allowed in the house. It's crazy. It's also something that I'm not taking anymore. 
I'm not singing backgrounds for you. I'm not getting on your album and doing a ooh and a ah and then you don't credit me. I'm not writing this song for you and then you don't put my name in the credits. You will respect it. What's your experience like in this moment with me right now? Because obviously we're relating on this level as we're both gay men, Uh but I'm a white man and I'm asking you questions about race because they're topics that I think are important and want to talk about. Do you think that the conversation would be easier had with a black man or are you glad to be asked about it by a white man? I'm just curious. The conversation would be lighter Mm. if it were another black person just because we could relate on different things Mm -hmm. and we could make light of some situations. We could connect on 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 a different level. But it's also, this is important. Ask me the questions. You should want to know what these things are like. So that when it comes up, you can say, no, 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 no. That's not how they feel. That's not what the African-American experience is for most people. And I can say that because I have asked. Yeah. I have put out the, the feelers and want to know exactly how this is so I can make some sort of change and help out. Because it's never going to happen if you don't want to learn. I could scream in your ear and try to teach you all day. But if you don't want to listen, it won't matter. We'll be right back. If you enjoyed what you just heard, I have some good news for you. There are extended interviews with our talent available on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash shutupevan. For those of you that aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a way for myself, my producer Alden, to make a little bit of coin off of this podcast. That support will allow us to continue to make more episodes. So if you liked what you heard and want to support what we're doing and the continued effort to keep doing it, please consider subscribing to our Patreon today. And we're back. I want to ask, this is sort of in line with what we were just talking about, but I want to ask about tokenization and having your queerness and blackness so centered in conversations like the one we're having now. Yeah. Because I feel like an artist, as you mentioned, like a Taylor Swift, are not forced or or even asked about their whiteness or their cisgenderness or their, or their straightness. And yet so much of our conversation has been about your blackness and your gayness. Yeah. That's something that I chose to because it's something I want to know about you and I want to learn about you. But I'm just curious if there's situations in which you feel that the line of questioning tokenizes you. Of course it does. I mean, it's designed that way. Like you said, they're, they're never asked about that kind of stuff. Like, what's it like being white, Taylor Swift? Yeah. It's never, it's never a question you asked. It just goes to show you that you know something's wrong. Why do you have to ask someone what it's like to look the way they do? Because something's wrong. And it's... Not unfortunate because I love to talk about my blackness. I love to talk about who I am and my heritage and my people because I'm proud of who we are. But it's getting old. It's getting old for that to be the topic of the conversation as opposed to my art. Who I am and what I look like is drenched in my music. It's drenched in my personality and my character and everything else that you see online. It's in it. At a certain point, I think, later down the line of my career, if that's the question that's asked first, like, what's it like? Being a black man in this and this. And I'm going to say, it's great. It's great. Stop asking me about that. Because if you you still have to ask me about this 10 years from now, then you know that the issue hasn't changed. And you know that you're not doing your part. If that's still the question, 10 years from now, what's it like being black in this industry? Girl, it's tiring. I don't have to tell you. You know I'm tired. I'm fighting out here to do things that I shouldn't have to be fighting to do. To be seen and be heard. Mm -hmm. Being black and gay is wonderful. I love who I am. I love what I represent and I love others like me because we're important in this society and we're important in this community, but we're tired of having to explain who we are and the struggle we go through. I'm tired of 
my life being painted like as if it's roots every day. The last thing I want to talk to you about is your dating life. <laughs> Comedy. Uh, what's it like navigating dating as a person that people know? You know, you have this public persona, you're a famous person, and yet dating is something, <laughs> nice. is it difficult to find genuine connections? Oh, for sure. Um, I also don't date because right now I don't have time. I travel a lot and I work a lot. And so I don't have the, I don't have the time for it. But when I do, it usually, for me, you have to have a spark. It has to be something, you have to make me laugh. You have to make me just excited about who you are. Like ask me, someone the other night asked a friend of mine a great question as opposed to like, what do you do for a living? Or what's your like goal in life? He asked this guy, he goes, what are you excited about? What helps you wake up in the morning? And I was like, damn, like date me. That's what I want. Someone who's a human thing. I've been on dates before and yes, people know who I am some places. And I've had guys come up to me in some situations be like, oh, I would love to like, and we've gone on a date and then they take out their phones and they take a picture. And I'm like, that is strange. Also, I'm reckless. So you probably don't want to do that with me because I will turn this restaurant inside out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't be weird like that. Like that's, have a human connection with me. I have gone on dates and people only talk about what they do or what they can do for you or what you can do for them or what they want to be doing. And it's like, can we just, can we just be? If you had the choice, would you date a singer songwriter or someone outside? Absolutely the not. <laughs> you hear the songs I write about people? Girl, I don't need that. I don't need that energy coming back to me. Um, no, I've never, it's crazy. I've never dated another singer. I've dated a songwriter, but I've never dated another singer. And most of the feeling, like most of the songs on the feeling are about specific people and specific experiences. And I don't know if I'm ready for that to come back to me. Like I can't have an Adele moment where someone has a huge hit, like someone like you and, and I'm, I hear it on the radio every day. It would drive me nuts. Yeah. It would drive me nuts. Poor, that poor man, trash because of what he did. Yeah. But that poor man is literally just, that's it. For the rest of your life, this number one global hit is what you will hear and your wife will hear it and your kids will hear it. It's like, that's your legacy. Yeah, don't fuck with Adele. TST. I don't want that problem. I don't want the heat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Let's end by talking about the feeling. Yes. Um, this is the first new music in a little while and I feel like for people like me that have been craving new music, we're getting a number of new tracks, which is so exciting. Uh -huh. What was it like for you getting back into the studio for this EP? with a body of work that people are already fans of. I imagine it's a different experience than last time around when you're sort of building up your repertoire. Now you have a repertoire. Yeah. Um, I never left the studio. I'm a believer that if you want the music, you'll wait for it. I don't want to give you a song every month. You will get tired of hearing me. I know you will. I'm tired of hearing me sometimes. You know what I mean? I listen to my songs a lot and I, I write a lot of songs. I have a lot of songs already finished. I want to make sure it's right. And I'm not going to rush this this era that we live in where it's like single, 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 then it dies off. I want to give you songs that when I come to your city, you're like, I want to go to that show because I know each one of those songs and each one of those songs means something to me. I love each one of those records. And I love them because I waited for it. And when I got it, it was exactly what I wanted. It was exactly right. Like he didn't rush. And I, I can tell that there was time and love put into this. I have been writing the feeling for a year and a half. I would go back in, I would rewrite choruses, I would rewrite verses, and kind of mix and match. And the feeling, the title track, The Feeling, that is the first song you'll hear on the, the EP, it was finished three days before everything had to be mixed and mastered. And there are seven different versions of it. But that's how meticulous and 
sort of perfectionist I am when it comes to that stuff because it has to be right. It has to be right because people don't understand that these things live in the world forever. There is someone overseas who will listen to that song and it will mean something to them. And so I want it to be right. My last question, obviously this album is for everyone and anyone, but I'm curious for the little Vincents out there that might be listening to this album, that will be listening to this album, what do you want them to take away from this? I want them to take away that they can be honest about themselves. You don't have to hide your emotions. That's a pointless thing, and that takes years of undoing. You don't have to be what people tell you manly is or being a woman is. Emotions are emotions, and the feeling is evidence of that. Feelings are feelings, and you don't have to cover them up because you're told to. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to want to feel sexy. It's okay to want to be intimate with someone and also being a little bit afraid of that because there's a fear in it, but it's also okay to talk through it. It's communication. This whole EP is communication. Telling these people who listen to my music how I feel, I do it in hopes that they'll be able to do that in their daily lives. Emotions are a good thing. Ask Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Of and I course. just want to say, while well, I have you in front of me, like I just am such a tremendous fan of your work. Thank you. Obviously, I've been following you for years, but I want anyone out there to not only listen to the new EP, but go through your entire body of work. You are obviously a remarkable vocalist, but also an incredible songwriter. Thank you so um, much. And so obviously the EP is available now on all platforms and just get into Vincent. Listen to it, the feeling. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Evan. Yay, we Thank love you. Thank you. Do you feel good? That feels great. I felt great. God, I fucking hate that you're happy while I'm barely getting by and you're smiling in your I'm Evan Ross Katz. Shut Up Evan is produced and edited by Alden Peters. This podcast is made possible in part by our supporters on Patreon. So we tip our hat to you all. Go to patreon.com backslash shut up Evan to get access to bonus content, including extended interviews and bonus clips. And again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for giving a shit about anything that I have to say. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.